Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad you're here. We're working on this a book of Solomon Katz's Beauty as a State of Being. And I think I want to catch you up just a little bit in case you weren't here the last couple of Sundays. So the first Sunday, we talked about the idea of our mind, unfortunately, as though it were like a chainsaw. Really good, really powerful at doing something, but do we really want to use a chainsaw in general in our lives? In particular, we talked about our mind's excellent method of uh, discerning and judging, but if that's the tool that we have that we use the most and the best, you can look forward to a life that's full of me versus something, and guess what? There's judgment (laughs) involved as well. So the first week was really just an awareness, that thought of, uh, wait a minute, do I really need to have my mind so very busy at finding differences, at finding faults, of saying this is better than that, this is taller than that, this is bluer than that, this is something other than that, and then usually topping it up with, and this one is better, of course, for me, because I choose it, Everyone else's choice, probably not so good, or maybe only good just for them. That idea of adding that, just that little helping of judgment on top of it. The second week, we talked about the difference between positive thinking and negative thinking. Unfortunately, that buzzsaw always going, that chainsaw of our mind, tends on an average to pick up more negativity than positive thinking. It's just how our brains actually lay down our memories. We talked about that last week. That typically it's easier uh, and significantly easier for us to remember negative things that happened rather than positive ones. And so we tend to make negative associations. When we see something out in the world, we're more likely to attach a negative connotation to it than a positive one. It's just how our brains work, but knowing that, we can overcome it. And we spent a fair amount of time last week talking about how positive thinking, of course, will bring a more positive outlook on life. In fact, last week, for any of you who had never had an introduction to the teachings of science of mind, right? As you think, so it shall be. That was what we talked about last week, the idea of reorienting our thoughts towards the positive so that we could expect more positive outcomes in our life. Well, today, uh, I would like to say more science of mind, but in a way, not so much. The hypothesis today is actually that there's something even more powerful, perhaps even better for us than positive thinking. It's not thinking at all. And so we're going to talk about that idea today. And it may be a little uncomfortable for some of us, right? We're used to that. uh, Well, first of all, we're used to guess how many thoughts go through our head in a day. Now, of course, some way more than others, but guess. A trillion? Well, I'm glad to say, Erica, it's not a trillion, but it's 80,000 on average. 80,000 thoughts filter through our head, on average, I mean some people more, some people less, some days more than others, but 80,000 thoughts. We are so used to our minds just being filled 
with thinking. And so this idea perhaps of not thinking, of thinking less, could be a little bit of a gear change for a lot of us. And, and I want to use an example. So when I uh, was first going to University of Oregon uh, in undergraduate days, and uh, uh, you'll know exactly how old I am when I tell you that my first off-campus apartment was $75 a month. <laughs> that old. <laughs> $75 a month. Of course, I found out why the price was so good right next door to the main hospital in Eugene. And so all night long, I mean, I was born on the Oregon coast. I was used to silence at night. I mean, Newport, Oregon at five o'clock, it folds up, <laughs> right? <laughs> silence. <laughs> the first few months I lived in that apartment, I swear I did not get a night's sleep. It was the ambulances pulling in. In the summer, I didn't have air conditioning, and so the window was up. You'd hear everyone talking in the parking lot, all these medical terms and craziness. I really didn't get much sleep. But you know what happened? I would say it took me about three months and suddenly, all that nonsense started fading into the background. And if you had asked me a, a year into that apartment if the hospital was a real disruption to me, I would have probably said no. Now, keep in mind, I'm still getting the same stimulus. I'm still getting the same impact out of all of that tragedy going on. But I've managed to put it into the background so that I'm not even noticing all the same uh, hijinks and cursing and alarms and, and medical procedures, both gone well and gone poorly. All of that still raining down on my senses. And yet, the human being amazingly capable of putting that into the background. That was about the same time that I was first diagnosed with high blood pressure, though. I just throw that out as a thing that we can talk about some other time. All right, let's fast forward two years, moved into a, a well. Of course, it was a nicer apartment. I was paying $125 a month <laughs> at a nicer apartment. Do you know what happened, though? My head was so used to that constant noise and constant upheaval going on that I found I was leaving the radio on all the time. I found out that the tiny little television I had was on for, like, company or background noise. And, and I had literally, because my head was used to that little, of stimulation, I actually kind of missed it. Or, or at least it didn't seem right without having it go on. And it took me probably another six months after I moved until I really felt good about being quiet again, about the stimulus being down to a more usual level for me. I want to suggest that if we want to embark upon this process of quieting our minds a little bit, of getting that 80,000 thoughts a day down to something a little more manageable and actually useful, maybe in half, for instance, we're going to go through a process where we're seeing things a little bit uneasy, where it's feeling a little like I'm doing something unusual. And if any of you have been first-time meditators, if any of you have maybe gone on a silent retreat for the very first time, you know what I'm talking about about uh, maybe 15 minutes into your first meditation, you're like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to quiet my mind. 
I'm thinking like all kinds of crazy things, not the least of which that I ought to just get up and run. And the first time maybe that you went to a silent retreat, I would suggest maybe uh, maybe you did fine on the first night and partway through the second day, but at some point you had thoughts of, I got to get out of here. I got to hear my own voice. I got to have the stimulation that I'm used to. So we have ramped ourselves up. We have amped ourselves up to this 80,000 thoughts a day, and most of it unhelpful for us. Most of it actually oriented out of the present moment and either worried about what's going to happen or reliving things, mostly negative things, that happened in the past. The bulk of our thinking oriented off what's going on right now and instead dwelling on the past or focused on the future. By far, most of our thinking takes us away from what's going on right now. So how do we begin changing that? Well, first of all, you got to want to. First of all, you got to understand that health benefits are there, that relationship benefits are there. First of all, you got to realize there's a huge benefit towards being in the present moment. The very first week I had people do a meditation to pick out a time in their lives when they were the happiest. And you'll remember if you were here, you all picked out just a moment when you felt just blissful and happy. And I had you kind of dwell in that a moment. And you'll remember I challenged you to have not been fully in that moment. It's the very definition of happiness is being in The moment when you were there, when you were experiencing that happiness, you were all in. You were doing what you were doing and you were alive in it. You weren't just, uh, you know, passively watching someone else's life unfold, right? You weren't dreaming about what you were going to do or what you had done. You were all in. Whether it was playing, uh, playing that uh, unusually fun baseball game or whether it was uh, your wedding or a lot of you picked you know, really amazingly beautiful stories to tell me later about your moment of great happiness and what was true about all of them, you were in them. You were fully engaged in them. You were 100% participating. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we can reduce the jumble of our thinking and instead be fully present. So, of course, a joke. A Sunday school teacher had given a lesson on respect and the importance of listening to people. To emphasize this lesson, she decided to ask a question as the kids were on their way back into the sanctuary. And kids, why are we quiet in church? One little girl replied, to hear the singing better. The teacher shook her head and said, well, that's not the only reason. A young boy answered, because God wants us to hear the message. The teacher shook her head again, not the complete reason. Finally, another young boy raised his hand. I know, I know, because most everyone's sleeping. Gosh, I hope it's not true. (laughs) Maybe I better check in, make sure. Um, So, listening. The difference between listening and talking can save our lives. Because when our mind is busy, what's it doing? It's talking to us. It's saying this, not that. 
It's saying how much. It's asking all kinds of crazy questions. A, a thought, here, here, let me do my best impression of stream of consciousness in my own head. It's like, oh my gosh, look at these. Aren't these just beautiful? You know, that purple reminds me of a, of a dress that a woman was wearing at the doctor's office the other day when I was there. Oh, wait a minute. That was the appointment um, where uh, uh, they, they had totally blown off my appointment. I got there and they had complete. you know... As much as I appreciate the health insurance here that I have, I gotta tell you, Kaiser Permanent. Now I know they started out, and I know it's about doctors. <laughs> I mean, I know that it's probably one of the the best kind of things that it has. But you know, the healthcare in general in this country is just crazy. Okay. Now, I know some of you are going, that poor man. <laughs> but I would suggest to you that that's actually similar to the dialogues that all of us have going on in our head. Now, how much of that was productive? And how much of it took, a, how much of it took away from me enjoying that flower? That is beautiful. And immediately, I started attaching things to the expression of the beautiful rhododendrons and just took off like a shot into no person's land, right? So the idea, first of all, as we begin reducing our amount of thinking is to really concentrate on what we're doing in the moment. And one of the best ways to do this is just catch ourselves in that moment of the takeoff, that moment of the launch, Right? Because I, I think you can notice that. I, I, I think there's a difference between the, the kind of general thought that just comes into your mind, um, like how pretty that flower is, and then you notice when you stray from that into something else, when you begin adding in your discernments and your judgments, when you get out that chainsaw that we talked about and just go and start, you know, right? Just making a mess of my enjoying the present moment. So that's one of the things I'm going to be asking you to be aware of this week as part of your homework is, can I notice when I shift from being in the moment into either the future, the past, taking off on crazy questions, doing non-sequiturs, things that will take me out of my ability to actually enjoy what's going on right now. All right, so how do we switch from talking into listening? Uh, I bet at least five of you have taken an active listening class, or it's been a component of some kind of a communication class. Yeah, maybe more. All right. So when I say active listening, then most of you already know the idea of paying your full attention to someone when they're speaking. It's almost like being on the edge of your chair. Has anyone been to a movie lately where you were literally on the edge of your chair wondering what was going to happen next? Your full attention riveted to what's going on the screen, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? Well, that, in a way, is like uh, this idea of really intently listening, when you will suggest that the person that you're listening to, what they have to share is valuable enough that you'll be on the edge of your seat. You're not trying to figure out what you're going to say as a response to it, right? You're not thinking, oh, well, why does she think that? Or why does he do, you know, you're not asking mental questions. You're literally just trying to drink it in. You're trying to completely understand as best you can 
what the other person's message is. Well, that's active listening. And I would like to suggest we can use that exact same technique when we simply want to be mindful about what's going on right now. So for instance, when I noticed the beautiful rhododendron, rather than saying, you know, that purple reminds me of that dress that woman was wearing in the doctor's office. Instead, I could have noticed me going, vroom, let's head over to the doctor's office. And I could have said something instead like, Oh my word, right? Just drinking it in, really actively listening to the plant. I've never really noticed that they have speckles in the throat. The contrast, uh, the color is highlighted by the contrast of the green leaves. Do you see what I mean? I'm really listening, if you will, to that present moment. That is one of the ways that we can pull ourselves back in. We can rein ourselves back in to the present moment. Now, I would bet all of you have been in the unfortunate situation of being in some kind of a situation with someone else where there was very little listening going on at all. Right? Have you ever felt that the person you were with were paying no attention to you at all? In fact, with the advent of uh, modern cell phones, I would say it's painfully obvious anymore. You can look around and people are talking and the people they're talking to are texting and checking their Facebook messages (laughs) and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And it kind of pisses me off a little bit. I would like to think that what I had to say at least would be listened to with some courtesy. That is what we're mostly doing to God. Now some of you are going, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm here to tell you we believe in an imminent God. We believe that God is present in every single moment, in every single person, in everything that's going on. And so when we're daydreaming of the future, when we're imagining all the horrible things that happened to us or reliving conversations with a a boss that was mean to us or whatever, when we're not in the present moment, I'm basically saying, the world isn't good enough for me. I need to be somewhere else. I need to be somewhere else. I need to be away from this thing called life. We're meant to be fully in it. We are fully in it. Uh, What we believe in the science of mind is that we are an integral and individualized center of God's consciousness. It means that in this present moment, anything that we could possibly desire can be experienced. I can be happy. I can be joyous. I can experience, have that sense of wealth or whatever it is, because all of that is an inside job. You know, LaRonda was uh, amazingly uncanny, our music director, LaRonda Steele, in picking Om Shanti um, this, uh, this month. Let me read you the closing uh, lines here. When there is peace in my mind, there will be peace in the earth. Do you see it's the inside out? We spend much of our time working it the other way. We think that when I have my life arranged well enough, I'll be happy. We, we think that when I have enough money, I'll finally feel abundant. We think that if I arrange my friends and my family in a certain way, that then and only then, I'll really feel loved. It's the opposite. 
we spend so much of our time trying to organize the outside of things with our 80,000 thoughts a day of how this might be improved and how that might be changed and how this isn't good enough and, and how that can be curtailed and, and why she said that and why he did that and, and, and how tomorrow's going to be better than today. Even our positive thinking, even our positive thinking highlights what we don't have in our present moment. To not think to live blissfully in what's right before us, that is the dream, that is the key. Now, are we going to have a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, right? Does our brain want to be turned off? You see, I think we have a, could have a little resistance to this. As healthy as it would be physically and emotionally and spiritually, as, as wonderful it would be to start enjoying the present moment more, we're used to those 80,000 thoughts a day. We're used to the doom and gloom that's on the TV. We're, we're used to the pity parties that we've had and, the, and planning for the next nightmare that might come our way, right? We're so used to that. But I'm here to suggest that we stop. I'm here to suggest that we give some time to what's going on on the inside that we try to experience peace in our mind so that we can experience peace in the world. That we begin feeling rich with the life right as it is so that true wealth can come to us. So that we're loving the people we're with, not dreaming about people we haven't met yet or, or how things used to be in the good old days. All right. Let me launch into your full homework assignment this week, and uh, <clears throat> I'm sure I'll hear about it, and that's okay. I'm up for it. I would like you to take the occasion this week to mindfully do some things that normally you do on autopilot. Now, on our silent retreat that we uh, do every year, uh, one of the things that we practice after each of our meals is meditative walking. And so uh, we could use that as an example. Whether you go for a walk in the morning or whether you walk a dog or if you're just in your apartment and have a, a little bit of a hallway, the idea of mindful walking is simply just putting one foot in front of the other and noticing as much about that activity as you possibly can. That when your mind starts, you know, well, what am I going to do later in the day? What needs to be on the grocery list? Why did so-and-so leave me that upsetting voicemail message? No, no. I'm simply walking. I'm simply putting the right foot out and then the left foot. I'm simply noticing the variations of color in the carpet. I'm simply taking another step and another step. And when you get to the end of the hall, just turn around and come back because there's no destination it's just about the present moment of walking. So that would be one suggestion. Another one, actually, that I've been doing this week, um, I, I had been reading uh, Jack Kornfeld's uh, book not too long ago, and he tells of a time when he was in a monastery that he had the, uh, the duty, uh, it started out being an unpleasant duty to him, of washing the dishes for all of the monks that were in that monastery. And so he was very grumpy about it at first. You know, why, why am I stuck doing this? And it's so boring, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And after a while, he just began noticing the beauty of the plates. After a while, he began feeling the utility of what he was doing. 
after a while, he began to think, well, wait a minute. This is a time when I really get to experience just myself. I'm not in the midst of the other monks. I, I'm not you know, caught up in any drama. It's just a, a moment of quietness in my day. Why should this not be part of my meditation? Why should this not be part of the bliss, in fact, that I can experience. So this week I've been, now, now some of you will say I cheat because we do have a dishwasher, uh, but, <laughs> but it's not a very good one. So, so, so I do have to pre-wash a lot of the plates. And, and I, I just will share with you what I used to think of just as something that had to be done every day is now part of my spiritual practice. It's part of a time that I get to be fully in that present moment. Just, and whether I'm watching the suds on the sponge, whether I'm noticing how very colorful my Fiesta wear plates are, um, whether I'm uh, making sure that the tines of the forks are actually clean enough so, so that they'll go through the dishwasher and really be clean, all of that I'm approaching with a kind of reverence. Now, can we do our whole lives this way? You know, I think some people do. I think there are people who manage to spend a good part of their lives in this level of present moment awareness. Is that necessary for us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What you will notice is that your thinking decreases. In fact, I think we have just enough time for a short example. If you're willing, close your eyes for just a second. Just sit comfortably in your chair. Don't try to not think about things. It, it doesn't work that way. But instead, just notice what thoughts come to your mind. Maybe you're thinking about the potluck coming up and the town hall meeting. Maybe you're thinking about going to lunch after the service. Maybe you're wondering which of the amazing Laura Berman songs you're going to hear in a minute. It's okay. The thoughts come. Just try not to take off with them. Try to just leave it as the single thought that comes up and then go quiet again. And just allow another thought to come up and then go quiet again. You might be thinking of the weather outside and something you'd like to do later in the day. That's fine. Just think about it and let it fade into the background. Let's not add to it or ask questions of it or make judgments of it. A thought comes up, almost like a cloud passing by a beautiful summer day. It comes into your awareness. There's that thought I had, and now it passes. All right, you can open your eyes. Guess what? Just in that practice, you throttle down your thinking by close to 80%. It's more of our add-on thoughts that add up to that 80,000 a year. Our primary thoughts, the things that, that just percolate up to be thought about, the noticing of the flower, the, the encountering something that brings up a thought, those initial thoughts that just come into our mind are by far the smaller number of thinking that goes on. 
even if we just throttle back the add-on thoughts, the thoughts from the flower that led to the dress, that went to Kaiser Permanente, that had me evaluating the whole healthcare system, if you, if you just pare that back two or three levels, your mind begins to clear. Now, was it uncomfortable for you? We're not used to tinkering with our heads, I'll give you that. But I will suggest if we pare back even 10% of our thoughts, 15% of our thoughts, our heart rate slows, our blood pressure reduces, our ability to actually concentrate and retain information increases, we will see all kinds of benefits if we can reduce our thinking. Doesn't it even sound crazy in a way to talk about reducing our thinking? And yet, and yet, virtually all of the stress that we encounter in our lives is caused by the runaway chainsaw of our thinking. What a blessing to begin just eliminating even a percentage of that stress, even a little bit of the hijinks that our mind goes through. All right, you've got your homework. I'm going to read a, a, a quick summary here from our, our book, again, by Dr. Solomon Katz. Uh, and then we'll get on to that music that I was thinking about. <laughs> to be present is to acknowledge perfection in the light of being in consciousness. In life itself, it is to look to one's own source, that substratum of all that is for happiness, it's not to have a grocery list of things that need to be accomplished before you can be happy. It's not about dwelling in the past as some kind of solution. It is to derive joy from the miracle and the beauty that is always here now. The attempts to get everything right, to lose the weight, to pad the bank book, all of these are to have a project and thus to overlook the imminence of God around us. Imminence is always true. And so deriving happiness from imminence is always available. All that is needed is to withdraw attention from our mind and its projects, from obsessing within time, from happiness in the future, to settle into the I am and the happiness of the present. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. It is that thing that I choose to call God. And what I know about it, what I know about its imminence, is that every piece of this universe is part of that one power and that one presence. It means me. It means this moment in this spiritual center. It means all of you. It means that right now, in this, this flashing second, Everything that we could choose to feel and experience is available to us. Happiness can be ours. Peace can be had. Contentment is at hand. Joy can be found. Not in the, in the machinations of our mind, but literally in the, the beauty of the carpet, in the color of the flower, in the very clothes that you have picked out, in the sound of my voice, in the beauty of the music, right here, right here, right now, is sufficient and good. And so it is with uh, just great gratitude that I acknowledge the presence of God in everything, the beauty of God in everything, that in every moment of every day,
exactly what I need is present. And so for this, I give great thanks. For this, I simply release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.